today, uh, we're starting a brand new series called Ruth, and uh, I named it. That's why it's such a creative title. Yes, please hold your applause. And so um, I'm really excited, and I want to tell you, I always like to start a series by telling you what's, what's the heart behind the series, uh, what kind of motivated us to do a series on Ruth. And uh, to introduce that idea to you, I want to tell you about this little thing that we call the code. Uh, at Emmaus Road, we have a mission statement that drives the direction of our church. Uh, everything that we do helps us to fulfill our mission. We have core values, which are things that we know we're going to need along the way. If we're going to journey toward this, uh, on, the, on this, this road that God has called us and uh, to fulfill our mission in, in, in this city and around the world, uh, then we're going to need some core values. We're going to need some things that are going to help us along the way. And so we are, some of our core values are things like prayer is a, a, is a first response, not a last resort. Or uh, we value authentic community. We believe that worship is, is not confined to these walls of the church, but something that we do with our entire life. Uh, we all need those things if we're going to fulfill God's mission in the world. But then we also have this thing called the code. And the code is really descriptive of the kind of church that we're, we seek to be. The kind of church that we believe God has called us to be. And uh, one of the codes... Is, uh, is very simply a code that we call no mining. No mining. How many of you, when you get trail mix, and the trail mix has peanuts, M&Ms, and raisins, you mine out the M&Ms and leave the peanuts and the raisins. I will raise my hand. Are there any with me? Okay, you get trail mix and you mine out what you like. We, Amy made this great kind of cinnamon checks mixy thing, and I don't like pretzels, so I'm like working my way around the pretzels, you know. We get to the bottom, and it's like 600 pretzels and two Cheerios that are left, that, you know, coated with cinnamon. I mine out what I want. And, uh, but we have said in this church, we don't want to do any mining, uh, because some churches will only mine out what they like about Scripture, the things that are easy to talk about. And uh, what we've said is that we want to take the whole counsel of Scripture and uh, seek to develop ourselves spiritually, seek to encourage one another in the, in the setting, uh, in this corporate setting. And so as I was planning the series for 2012, I, I began to think about uh, what, are some, what are some books of the Bible or what are some ideas that don't really get a lot of airtime on Sunday mornings? And uh, Ruth came to mind. And... Uh, so that's really the inspiration of the, of the series. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit sent a lightning bolt down, or it wasn't like I met somebody on the street named Boaz. Uh, you know, it was none of these sort of like, like obvious sort of in-your-face things. It was like, how do we take the whole counsel of Scripture and, and bring it to our community so that we're not just mining out the things that I like to talk about or the things that, that are easy to talk about. And so we're doing a whole series on Ruth. And Ruth is a short book, so it's a short series, uh, just three weeks. But uh, that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to tackle Ruth uh, over the course of the next three weeks. And, and i got to tell you, uh, you know, again, I've just, I've just come clean. The inspiration wasn't, wasn't uh, really in your face. And as soon as we started announcing and letting people know that we're going to do a series on Ruth, uh, people got really excited. And I thought to myself, really? You're excited about Ruth? For real? I mean, I'm excited about every series, but I was surprised about how God is already preparing our hearts for the truths that will come out of this, out of this uh, short but important book. Okay, so you guys ready for to hear God's word today? Ready to look at Ruth? Woo! All right. I can see, I got I to gotta, I gotta pump you guys up, okay? 
I've got to pump you up so you're ready to hear God's word. All right? Um, you know, I, I've debated uh, back and forth about what to read today because really I want to look at all of Ruth chapter 1. Uh, but let me just catch you up on a little bit of the story, and then we'll read kind of the last portion of it. Uh, and I was tempted just to read the whole, whole chapter, but I won't do that this morning. And so, um, so let me kind of catch you up on the story of Ruth, and uh, then we'll pick up reading kind of where I, where I leave off. Um, but basically, there is uh, a guy named Elimelech, and uh, he has two sons and a wife, Naomi. And uh, they live in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem comes under a famine. That's what we learn right off the bat in Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We learn that in Bethlehem, uh, there is a famine. And so they move their whole family to Moab. And so uh, Elimelech, how many of you, this, uh, the Muppets used to have an old song that was like, mana, mana, that's, that's how I learned how to say Elimelech. Because I was like, Elimelech, you know, so you just got to, so if I kind of break out into a little bit of Elimelech, you'll know why, okay? <laughs> I'm drowning already, man, it just started, just started, we got we to gotta get through this. Okay, so, uh, so there's this family, there's a famine in Bethlehem, they move their whole family to Moab, uh, the two sons uh, meet Two uh, women, they become the wives. The wives are uh, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and Ruth, uh, who is the kind of the, the main character of the story, obviously has the, has the book named after her. They live there 10 years as a family. And um, after 10 years or, or shortly in, in that period of time, um, the husband, Elimelech, and the, and the two sons die leaving Ruth with her two daughter-in-laws. And so uh, Ruth then has in mind, uh, hearing that the famine in Bethlehem has ended, she has in mind to return back to her home. And uh, this is where I want to pick up the story. It's in Ruth chapter 1. I want to start reading at verse 11, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. And uh, we'll we'll take a look and, and see what God's Word has to say to us today. Starting in verse 11, it says this, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? And again, coming with her is back to Bethlehem. Why would you come to me, with me, to Bethlehem? Am I going to have more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this they wept aloud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Now this is important. Because in Moab they didn't worship the one true God. They had other gods. And so he's saying, Orpah... Your other sister, your sister-in-law has returned to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to go back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord has made me and my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. That's going to be important as we'll learn today. Why call me Naomi? For the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now that seems like an interesting detail right at the end, but we'll learn that that's an important detail of of how the author ends chapter 1. Now... Typically when we come to the book of Ruth, and I've, I've said part of the inspiration is the book of Ruth doesn't get a lot of airtime on Sunday morning. We don't really talk about Ruth a lot. But chances are you've heard some messages. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard some messages about Ruth. And the typical understanding of the book of Ruth is this. Ruth was a great friend, and you should be too. The end. Right? Right? And so then we kind of use that as an opportunity to talk about what does it mean to be a great friend. And we talk about the importance of relationships and all this kind of stuff. But I believe that one of the beauties of this story is that there's actually layers of this story. At one layer, and I would say at the first layer, we could say, yes, Ruth was a great friend. And you should be a great friend too. And then we could use it as an opportunity to talk about the importance of community and friendship and relationship and all of those kinds of things. But there's something deeper going on here. And I I would argue that the only problem with that kind of understanding and that surface level or that first layer of understanding is that what this is, what we're doing here and what the Bible is giving us is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, the story is just describing how Ruth reacted to her situation. It's describing the commitment that Ruth had to Naomi, but it's not prescriptive. Some of you are married and you do not like your mother-in-law. I did not hear any amens. That's a good thing. And if we open the scripture and we said, you know what? The Bible says that you have to love and you have to be committed to your mother-in-law just like Ruth was. Some of you are like, I'm done. I can't do it. Right? This, isn't a, this isn't a prescribed way of being. We shouldn't come to this, this passage and simply understand that this is God's will and intention for a family relationship in every single family. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. And so what I want to do during this whole series is take a little bit different look at Ruth. Uh, where we're not going to focus on, on, on the, the friendship that she had necessarily, but we're going to focus on these multi-layered elements of this story and, and, allow, and allow God just to bring all kinds of things to the surface that would form us, that would shape us, that would encourage us, and that, was, that would send us out to be ambassadors for his kingdom. So that's a typical teaching. I want to pull back the layers. And I believe that in this, in this first chapter, the layers are revealed through the details at the very end, at the very beginning, and at the very end. 
The, the first layer of detail that I believe really, really speaks volumes about what happens and, and, and the reaction to the story is this. The very first layer is this. There was a famine in the land. They're living in Bethlehem. The, 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 uh, the, um, Elimelech's, <laughs> I gotta get that right. Elimelech's family is, is part of Israel. They're the nation of Israel. And so they are God's people. They're living in God's land. But there's a famine in the land. And so he chooses to move his entire family to Moab. Not in Utah. Some of you are like, man, that's awesome. Like biking and hiking. Man, they must have had a great time in Moab. That's the that's different Moab. Okay? Different Moab. Now what we learn about in the Old Testament up to this point is that the nation of Israel... And the Moabites, those from Moab, are enemies. We learn through the book of Judges, through the book of Numbers, we have all these encounters of Moabites against Israelites, Israel against Moab. These two nations are absolutely enemies. And and Moab is not part of the the nation of Israel. They're not part of God's chosen people out of which the Savior of the world will come. And so what happens is Moab, in a time of famine, while he's in God's land, and he's in the, in, under the protection of God, under the will of God, living in the land of God, Moab, in a time of famine, says, this things are getting pretty bad, and so I'm going to move my family to Moab, the land of the enemy. But they don't just move there. It says that they, that they take residence there. In other words, they move from going into the land of the enemy to taking residence in the land of the enemy. But they don't just take residence. Their sons marry Moabite women. In other words, they begin to lay roots in the land of the enemy. First they just go there. Then they begin to reside there. Then they lay roots there. And what do we learn in the story? Within 10 years, the family dies there. Listen, I want to give you a big idea right up front and then we'll flesh it out. But the big idea is this. Bethlehem in a time of famine is far better than Moab in a time of feast. God's house in a time of famine is far better than the land of the enemy in a time of feasting. I mean, check this out. I mean, let's use this as a bit of a metaphor for our lives. How many times while we're living under the will of God, we're living under the protection of God, we're living our lives for him, and yet things get tough, right? Our our, our friends begin to reject us because of our faith. Maybe our brand new faith. Maybe some of you have just come to know Christ, and you're all excited, and you go back to school, you go back into the workplace, you go back into your neighborhood, and instead of having this, this warm reception where all of your friends have an altar call, and they all come to know the Lord, they look at you and they say, what is wrong with you? And it's like all of a sudden, even though you're in the land and in the will of God and where he would have you to be in your life, it feels like a famine because things are getting pretty tough. Because you're, 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 maybe your parents even are coming after you and they're saying, what are you doing with this Jesus stuff? You know that stuff doesn't work. And you're experiencing all this turmoil because of your brand new faith. 
I wonder how many times when we're living in the will of God, under the protection of God, things get tough. Like we lose a loved one. And you look at God and you're like, I didn't think that was supposed to happen after I gave my life to you. Or you get a pay cut. Or you get laid off and all of a sudden it becomes really hard to make ends meet. And you're like, God, I'm following you. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm doing everything I can to proclaim the reality of your kingdom in the world. I'm doing all that I can to to serve people, to love people. I'm volunteering in the church. And yet, all of this is still happening. How can it be? And it feels like a famine in the house of God. And so, so I wonder how many of us in those times, when we're under the will of God, when we're under the protection of God, where we are, where he wants us to be, but things get tough. I wonder how many times out of desperation, we go to the land that we used to despise, feeling like we had no other choice. And so Moab... or or, or Elimelech in a time of famine in Bethlehem moves his family to the land of the enemy. And they take root there. They marry there. And they die there. Now, I I know that this is going to get pretty heavy, but just stick with me. How many of you used to despise the thought of alcohol, but when things got tough, you didn't know where to turn. You didn't know how to cope. And so that seemed like the most natural way to make the, the reality and the, and the emotional pain disappear. And so out of, a, out of desperation, while you were living clean, while you were, while you were living according to God's word and how he would want you to live, you churned to the very thing that you despise, feeling like out here you had no other choice. You had no other hope but to turn to that thing. I wonder how many of you Committed to say, and you said to yourself, you know, I'll never cheat just a little bit in my business. I'll never cheat just a little bit to, to make a little bit of a profit or to avoid some taxes. But then the economy hit. And everything just, just like totally broke loose. In 2008, you've been struggling along ever since. And so now you're, you're squeezing a little bit here. You're, you're fudging just a little bit here. And you end up out of desperation in a time of famine, churning to the thing that you used to despise for fear that you have no other choice. Many of you promised that you would never have sex until you were married. But he says that he loves you. He keeps pressuring you. All of your friends are doing it. They're telling stories about it. And out of desperation, it just seemed so much harder to maintain your purity. So what you used to despise, you just went there because you didn't know what else to do. Listen, friends, if I can tell you anything today, I want to tell you that the land of Bethlehem in famine is still far greater than Moab in a feast. Can you hear that today? Can you allow it to sink into your heart? Because I know that you may be going through what seems like a famine. I know that even though you're doing your best to live inside the will of God, and you are living in the will of God, you are a person of faith, you are obeying him, you are living according to his ways, and things get tough. And it feels like a famine. 
Could I encourage you today to stay where you're at, to stay put? Because what do we learn from this story? As soon as they move into the land of the enemy, as soon as they begin to take residence there, as soon as they begin to lay down roots there, death comes. I'm not saying that any of you are going to die a a, a real and tangible and physical death, but I promise you that in the land of Moab, there will be things inside of you that begin to die. And where, where you were once in the land of, of, under the protection and the will of God. And even though it was a famine, there was fruit being produced. You saw evidence of God's goodness. You saw evidence of God's faithfulness. You saw evidence of God's love for you, even in the midst of the famine. When you move to the feast of the enemy, you'll bear no fruit. I'm hitting it hard today, boy. This isn't a light series. Because I believe God wants to speak to us and God wants to challenge many of you. In fact, if you're here today and you are right now contemplating a move from Bethlehem to Moab, let me encourage you again that Bethlehem in a time of famine is still far better than Moab in a time of feast. Because Moab will lead you to death. And even though it seems like a time of plenty there, it will bear no fruit. Some of you today, you're wondering if the Christian life is really worth it. I mean, no one around you is living it. All the evidence that you see in your, in your workplace, there's, there's cheating going on. There's uh, all kinds of, of um, ungodly things and actions that are taking place in the workplace or in your classrooms uh, all around you and you're, you're sitting here and you're trying to live an upright life and you're trying to do what God tells you to do and you're here today sort of half-heartedly you're coming to church and you don't know what else to do and you're thinking I'm going to move from Bethlehem to Moab because what you perceive is the grass is greener over there it's an easier life you perceive all kinds of other things but let me tell you today that when you make that move you will experience no fruit in your life that if you will worship your way through the famine right now, God will be faithful. And God indeed is faithful. And he will love you through it if you worship him through it. Now, he'll love you regardless. But the way to get through that is to worship him through that famine. Are you with me? Is this helping anybody? You're a father. You're doing your best to lead your family. And you know that you, you should be leading them well spiritually. You should be leading them to the church. But you're wondering if faith in Christ is even worth it. You're ready to just call this whole family leadership thing off. You don't know what else to do. You're getting ready to move from Bethlehem. And, it, you know, listen, listen, things aren't always perfect in Bethlehem. Can I tell you that today? God never promised things to be easy while you're inside of his will. And how many times are we sold that? If you just come to know Jesus, if you just live inside of his will, everything will be easy. Since when? Have you read the Bible? Things are not always easy inside the will of God. And so, but if you'll stay there and worship your way through the famine, God will bring you to the other side with a greater intimacy with him, having put back the, 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 put the pieces together because he is a God of reconciliation. And he loves you. And he wants to walk you through the famine and allow enough, just enough fruit in your, in your life to keep you alive and your faith alive. So that you can come on the other side of that famine being inside the will of God and experiencing a true plenty. A true feast. 
Because let me tell you, the feast that is perceived in Moab is a false feast. It's not real. And we're, you know, what happens is we're sitting over here in the will of God. We're looking over the fence. And we're like, man, things must be a lot better over there because it's pretty tough over here. Let me tell you, you climb that fence, you move over here and go through the same life stuff that you were going through over here, except outside the will of God, except without a Savior to love you through it, without a Savior to hope, put your hope in for today, not just for the future, but for today and the future. You try to do that without Christ and tell me how it goes. It's a false feast over here. But if we worship our way through it, while we're over here, we will come to the other side of the famine and experience the true feast of God. So I don't know where you're at today and I don't know what you're going through. But some of you are here today and you're sitting right in the middle of the will of God and you feel like it's a famine. And let me encourage you today, stay there. Because it's far better than if you were to choose to move. And I I believe there's a lot of truth because some of us will move over here. And may God give, you've done that. You've already made the move. May God give you the wisdom to move on back. Right? But, but, But Elimelech and his family, they come here, they move here, they reside here. They become comfortable with the enemy. They lay roots in the land of the enemy. And then they die. And things inside of them begin to die. So if you're here today and you're contemplating the move, let me encourage you, don't move from where you're at. Continue to walk faithfully with God inside his will and worship your way through the famine so you may experience a true feast. You guys got that. But if you're here today and you've already made the move and you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, I am here, I'm here half-heartedly, I'm here as a last-ditch effort, I'm here just because I don't know what else to do on Sunday morning, and I put on my nice church face, and I put on my nice Christian face, but if I'm really honest, I've moved into the land of the enemy. And I've begun to lay roots there. Let me encourage you today with the second detail from this passage. That there is hope that there is hope in verse 22 we find this kind of second layer detail it says she arrived in bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning now when naomi loses everything when she hears that the famine in god's land is over and that they're experiencing feast she goes over there and what does she say when she gets into town did you catch it she says i went away full But I've come back empty. Naomi's life turns from full in the midst of famine to empty in the midst of plenty. Do you catch that? Do you catch on to that? Because of her switching around, she's not authentically experiencing what God has for her if she had just stayed there. Everybody that stayed in Bethlehem went through the feast and then experienced the famine. But what she experienced was fullness in the midst of famine because God is like that. Seeing that it's better over here, she moves over here. When she sees the famine over here, she comes back expecting to experience feasting, but finds herself empty. She's experiencing the exact opposite of what what is happening in this land. 
that God's goodness can allow for you to be full even in the midst of famine. When your life is difficult, when things seem to be coming against you and you're living inside the will of God, tell me, have you ever experienced the goodness of God to be so great that despite the circumstances in your life, you can say with a true and authentic heart, God is good and I am full. And yet, if we switch back and forth, we can, all, people all around us are experiencing the plenty of God and we say, I'm in a famine. With all the plenty around me, with all the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place, during worship and during the preaching, I still find myself empty. Naomi was experiencing the exact opposite. And isn't it true that when you leave Moab and you come back to Bethlehem, in, in, when Bethlehem is experiencing a land of plenty, you come back empty. Some of you have also experienced that. You've come back to God, needing him once to fill you up once again. Needing him to fill you up once again. Naomi returns home. And listen to the dialogue here. She says, don't call me Naomi. And the word Naomi literally means sweet. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Which literally means bitter. She returns back to the land of plenty. And says, no, don't don't call me sweet. Call me Bitter, for the Lord has brought misfortune to me. I find it very interesting that after moving into the enemy's camp and coming and experiencing misfortune, she comes back to God and blames him for the misfortune while she was living in the enemy's camp. I know there's an argument to be made that it wasn't her decision because she wasn't the head of the household, but the truth remains the same. How many of you, having, having experienced, having, after having coming back to God, will turn your fist toward him and say, how could you when it was you that moved into the enemy's camp in the first place? Now, I know that's not always true. I know that sometimes things come at us that are beyond our control. But how many times do we walk into the enemy's camp thinking the grass is greener over there and then blaming God for the misfortune that we face? May we experience faithfulness of God and the love of God so much that it would allow us to plant our feet firmly in his will and firmly in faith regardless of what life throws at us. Now, there's great hope to this story. And this is where Ruth comes in. Some of you are like, I thought this series was called Ruth. You haven't talked about anybody but Naomi. There's a beautiful hope to this story. Because Naomi, while she lived in, while she, while she lived in Moab, despite being in the enemy's camp, And despite finding roots here and living comfortably with the enemy, there were always whispers and evidences of hope. God wants to redeem your Moab more than anything. Because Naomi's family, living outside of the land of God, outside of the protection and the will of God, Finding a camp with the enemy, she finds Ruth. This woman 
who says, I will never leave you. Your people will be my people. And listen to this, your God will be my God. The, in, the, in the midst of this land of Moab, in the midst of living with the enemy, there is one shining hope that in that moment, God provides for Naomi a friend who will walk through the difficulty with her, who will turn her back from her God, the previous false gods of the land of Moab, and move to the one true God, that, she, that they would become one. And, and, the, and, the, and the English here is kind of future-oriented. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. But the Hebrew is structured not in a way that gives it a future tense, but gives it a right-now tense. The, the Hebrew is structured like this. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. In other words, Ruth is not saying, I'm going to commit to this, or I'm, I'm working my way up to it. Ruth is saying to Naomi, right now, the present reality is, I have, have forged myself to you, to your family, and to your God, and I will walk with this through you. And what's typical is for us to say, isn't Ruth great? You all should be just like Ruth. And then we try, and we say, I'm not like Ruth because I can't be that loyal. I can't be that faithful. I've tried and yet I find myself disappointing the one that I'm, I, I've committed myself to. And that doesn't mean that I'm out running around to my friends or my spouse or whatever. It just means that I find myself not being able to live up to the standard that Ruth lives out. Let me ask you a question. Are we in this story celebrating the faithfulness of Ruth? Or are we celebrating the faithfulness of God who provided for Naomi this woman, Ruth, this friend who will stick close to her, who will, who will churn her back on her gods in order to follow the one true God? The, the Hebrew here again is uh, this word leave is the word, is the word azab, which means a changing of the primary allegiance. Ruth is changing her primary allegiance from her people, her land, and her God, making a 180 and saying, Naomi, I am with you. And then she moves towards this way, changing her primary allegiance now to, the, to Naomi's family, to her God, to her people, to her land. It's a beautiful picture, not of the faithfulness of Ruth necessarily, but of the faithfulness of God to redeem Moab. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Let me tell you today, if you have moved from Bethlehem to Moab, it is in God's will and God's heart to redeem that. He wants more than anything for you to come on back and redeem all that happened here. Romans 8, 28, for we know that all who love God, he will work all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God can take your experience in the land of the enemy and redeem it so that you can live truly in the feast of God. And so while it is very noble, and it's a good thing to strive to be the one 
that God will use to express his faithfulness to someone else. And maybe that's what, what, maybe that's what you need out of this sermon today. You're like, I'm, I'm firmly planted right here. There's no chance of me going over to Moab. I'm just right here. And God wants to say to you, I want to use you to express my faithfulness to someone else. It is not a bad thing for us to strive to be Ruth. But let's give credit where credit is due. Let's make sure and say that this story is not about the faithfulness of Ruth primarily. It is about the faithfulness of God who provided Ruth for Naomi. Are you with me now? And so I want to tell you two things today. And the first I've already told you several times. That Bethlehem in a land of famine is still far better than Moab in a, land, in a, in a time of plenty. And may you experience that today. Maybe, may you use that as, as encouragement today. And may you be lifted up by that today. The second thing I want to tell you today is that God is intensely faithful. And that the faithfulness of God is far greater than our mess-ups and our, and our mix-ups. The times where we just make a mistake, the time where we directly move into the land of the enemy, God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness can overcome that and can redeem that. God is intensely faithful and he loves you. There's a fancy theological term for this that we call provenient grace. God is consistently chasing you regardless of where you're at. He's saying, come on home. Come on home. Walk back into the land of Bethlehem. Now, for some of you, this will just have to do with, a, with an area of your life. And, and you feel like that this one area of your life, you've moved to Moab and you just need to come on home. But for some of you today, you've never lived in the land of Bethlehem. You've been living all along in the land of Moab. This is where we are born. This is where our hearts naturally go, is against God in the land of the enemy. But God wants to say to you for the very first time, would, I, would you come to me? Would you come home to the land of Bethlehem? Would you invite me in? Would you commit to follow my ways? Would you put your faith in me that I might show you the land of plenty, that I might provide you hope in the time of famine? And so I don't know where you're at today, whether it's just an area of your life that you need to readjust or whether for the very first time you need to come to know God and invite him in. But I pray that you would be faithful to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. 